Yeah, first, first rule of platform ministry. If you're going to crack on somebody, be sure you're the last one with the microphone. So that was just a youthful mistake, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a pass on that one this morning. So is that what it is? We'll see. All right. That's tremendous. Oh, my goodness. It's so great to be here. Love this church. Wow. Angie, could I give this to you? It's sticking to the platform. It's just killing me here. Those magnetic things. All right. But it is a delight to be here. Last week, I'm, I'm, having a, I'm having a moment because last week, my wife and I were ministering at our church in Philadelphia. And we have a fabulous church there. Um, but it, it's, it's just jarring because I, don't, I know this is hard for you to wrap your mind around, but Jermaine is not one. Jermaine is a twin. And so Jeremy, his, his brother, leads worship for the Philly church, and in a few months will, be, will become a site pastor in a church they're planting in New Jersey. And so... So I, I, I took a picture. I, every time I see Jeremy, I took a picture and I sent it to Jermaine. And I said, every time I see your brother, I said, it gives me hope for you. <laughs> so we, we, we take encouragement from wherever we need to take encouragement. Oh, my goodness. All right. Turn in your Bible to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, for those of you challenged, that's in the New Testament part of your Bible. Or the other, the back half of your Bible. And every year, and my, my poor wife, as I drag her around from church to church and from nation to nation, she, she gets to hear the same message a lot. Because, and it's not that I only do one sermon a year, um, but it's that when, when God is speaking something, I believe it's something that God is grabbing and speaking to the body of Christ, the church as a whole. And so as we came into this year, every year, I begin to just kind of perk my ears up and say, God, what might, what might you be saying to the church in this particular moment? Now, those of you who have been here for a moment know that you've seen my shining face most Januaries as I bring, quote, a prophetic word. What in, the word. what in the world does that mean? It means that God does indeed still speak to us. Aren't you glad for that? Primarily through this Bible, but yet he does through revelatory means, dreams, visions, words, etc. Inspire us, speak to us, give us direction for our lives. And I believe that last year I sat here and I, I had a message entitled from groaning to glory, not my favorite annual word that I've ever delivered. How many of you had a groaning year in 2018? All right, there we go. One or two people. Okay. Now, let me just tell you, I hope that you're transitioning to the glory part. It wasn't just about the groaning. It is about moving all the way into the glory. Amen. But as we come into this year, this season, I, I, it started with a vision that God gave me. And I saw the Lord literally with a huge vessel. It was like an ancient urn. It stood about this high. And he was poised, looking, waiting to pour this urn out on his people. 
And it was, it was very clear that the urn represented a sense of who he was in a renewed way, a newer renewed way for us, but that there was a bit of inquiry. He was looking to find out where might I be able to pour myself out. Luke chapter 5, we find Jesus speaking a parable. It's actually three parables within a parable. Important enough that we find this particular parable repeated in all the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Beginning in verse 36, Luke 5, you know this. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins because if he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says, the old is better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us today hear well. Lord, in reality, we have to be supernaturally enabled and empowered to hear you. Our natural ears won't get it done. Something has to happen. So we ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts today. That you would open our spiritual ears to hear that which you're saying to us individually, in our families, and here in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Wineskins. We take for granted when we go to Giant or Wegmans and we buy milk or juice or whatever it might be that there are these nifty containers that they come in. Milk cartons or plastic or glass or whatever they might have. I mean, just the technology of how we move foodstuffs, how we store them, we just, we just take it for granted. But in the ancient world, that technology didn't exist. And so if they wanted to move foodstuffs from one place to the next, they had to be somewhat creative and had to figure out, well, what, what, what are we going to use? Well, in this particular case, the Greeks, it was very important for them to be able to move wine because it was very important to their culture. And so the invention, if you wish, or the technology of the wineskin to move wine really has been attributed to the Greeks. Now, what they would do is they would take the, the skin of, in most cases, a sheep or a goat, and after a short tanning process, they would sew up all of the openings, this is a bit visceral, and they would pour the wine into this wine skin, the skin of this animal, and then sew up the remaining opening, and that's how they would transport the wine from one place to the next. Now, let me hasten to say that the wine skin was intended to be a temporary transport mechanism. The wine was never intended to remain in the wine skin. Imagine the dude at the restaurant, you know, and he's pouring the wine. It has subtle undertones of dead goat, all right? And so somewhere you don't want your vino to taste like dead goat. Are you with me? 
And so the idea was it was temporary. The wine was not supposed to stay in the wineskin. Could I submit to you just for fun, and this isn't part of the message, you and I are temporary wineskins. We're just transport vehicles. Getting a little space sci-fi here. We're just transport mechanisms, if you wish, for the Spirit of God in us in this moment. All right. So, wineskins. Now, Jesus grabs something that is very well known in this culture and begins to speak a parable about the wineskin. This is something everyone understood as to what he was saying. Now, in this moment, what he's trying to do is to draw, compare, contrast, a juxtaposition between an old and a new thing. In other words, my wife was explaining that you can't take a piece of new cloth and put on an old one because if you sew it there, what happens is not only is it going to shrink and expand and do whatever it does, but that what you sew it to is going to dissolve as well. And so what he was trying to do was juxtapose old covenant with new covenant, that you can't take the two and put them together together. One has to completely come and do what? Replace the other. And the audience to which he was speaking in this parable were folks that should have known better. The Pharisees. I'll get to that in a moment. Every time God wants to do a new thing, he has to prepare a new wineskin. I want you to hear this well. Consider the book of Acts for a moment, the birth of the church. Now, Pentecost was one of the three feasts of Israel. Folks showed up three times a year to go to celebrate, to go through these these rituals, these liturgies, if you wish. Plus, it was a few weeks off work, so that was pretty cool. But on this particular Pentecost, something very different happened, if you remember. It says suddenly there was like wind, tongues of fire seemed to descend. And all of a sudden, folk that had not done Rosetta Stone or been to language school were beginning to speak and praise God in a language that they didn't understand, but somebody else in the crowd did. God began to do something on this particular Pentecost that was unprecedented in history. But guess what? He had to create a new wineskin in that moment called the church to pour out that of his spirit which had not been seen on the planet before that period of time. The new wineskin of the church is what you and I are. And there has to be something that stays fresh and pliable for you and for me. Once again, every outpouring of God afresh and anew requires the preparation of a new wine skin. Years ago, as Pastor Eddie was saying, my wife and I pastored a church in North Carolina. And I'll never forget it was the August, mid-1990s. And folk were just beginning to, during the service, they would start to weep. I'm thinking, well, I know the worship's not that good, but really, I... And I, man, I, and I was learning how to preach and 
I had, was coming in after Jim LaFoon, and if you ever heard him preach, and then the church had to put up with me, it was pretty horrible juxtaposition. So I understood why people were crying, I thought. But people began to weep, JC. It was, it was the strangest thing. And the next thing I know, folks are on the floor, and they're trying to crawl under the chairs. And I'm like, what is and this went on for almost a month. A deep spirit of conviction fell on individuals, confessing, of the, the confessing sin, getting right with God. And it was not something that came as a result of a nifty sermon series or doing communion every week. God was preparing something. And in September, God came in a way that I had never seen before. I mean, folk began to laugh. They began to fall down in the Holy Ghost. It was a mess. That's a big, that's, I mean, talk about marriage is messy. Church was messy. And I mean, it was, it, was, it was like nothing I'd ever seen in my life. I'll never forget one Sunday I was, at that time I was also leading worship and trying to preach and I was just tap dancing duck in that moment. And I had ministered to the worship team that morning and they, and they all had fallen out. They were, they were gone. And I'm like, what are we going to do now? Kazoo worship this morning, I guess. Anybody, everybody bring a tambourine, you know I mean? And then the next thing I know, I'm on the floor. And folk are, and we had a high platform very much like this one. And folk were walking in the room and it's like the, the worship team were stacked up like cordwood back here. And I crawled to the edge of the stage. Now understand, I am a control freak. I like it neat. You with me? And here I am. Crawl to the edge of the stage. And folk are looking like, I said, I don't know. But if you want whatever this is, just walk on down here. And folk would get within about eight feet of the stage and the power of God would hit them and they'd hit the floor. It was a mess. And some of you are saying, I knew Pastor Jim was touched, but I had no idea. Now I understand. Now some of you are saying, I don't like that. I didn't either. It didn't fit anything that I understood. It didn't fit my theology. It didn't fit my ecclesiology. It certainly didn't fit my, my own personal philosophy of how life is supposed to work. But God said, new wine. And he poured it out on us. And, and I know we shouldn't say this, but we, we all got pretty tipsy in the Holy Ghost. For a while. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And I believe, and I'm not talking about necessarily laughing and, 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 and falling down and running. If that's, I mean, that, that's okay. But I really sense that God is wanting to freshly pour himself out in us, on us, in a way that profoundly affects our lives. That we don't just get a little odor of God on us, but we get completely saturated and satiated in the Holy Spirit. But God's coming to examine first. 
Because I've learned something about God. He never wastes himself. This is the point right here that Jesus was making. He's looking for people that can contain that, which he wants to pour out. There's an examination. He's asking, he's looking, where are they? The same way, if you remember, Jesus had an encounter with a woman at the well. Remember this? And she begins to try to have a theological discussion with Jesus about worship. You know, and, and Jesus finally concludes their little discussion with, you know, woman, a time is coming. Said where we won't worship on this mountain or that mountain, but the Father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. Theologians debate exactly what that is. But the point I'm trying to draw from it is that God is looking. He's looking for worshipers, but he's looking for wineskins that he can pour himself into. So how do we do that? Let me draw out a few very quick things this morning. The first is flexibility. How many of you, when you go to the Cheesecake Factory and begin to worship over that menu, how many of you invariably order the same thing anyway? Exactly, all right? Because we tend to know what we like and like what we know, and so we don't try many other different things. Now, my wife has a much more adventuresome palate than I do. But I mean, for me, it's just like burger, cheese, let's do this thing. I mean, you know, it's just it's not complicated. But it's amazing how inflexible we are. I have a good friend, his name is, is Pastor Duke Bendix. Many of you know Pastor Duke, and I have shamelessly, shamelessly ragged this poor man about his, his age. But let me just tell you, I'll be 62 here in a few months, and it doesn't take much outside of moving some firewood or doing a little thing before I realize, oh, you know what I'm talking about? Ow. And you realize how inflexible you get because as we get older, it's an amazing thing that happens. We tend to get what? Less flexible, not more flexible. And so we have to do things now just to stay Oh, so we don't hurt something. But how inflexible we can get in our experience of God. How inflexible we can get even in our theology. It's either Lennon Ravenhill or A.W. Tozer, and I don't remember which one it was, but said decades ago, he said, my, one of my biggest concerns is that the church knows, thinks they know too much about God and in so doing very well could move, miss the next move of God based on what we think we know. The Pharisees experts. They were the theologians. They were the scholars. And yet Jesus said, boys, he said, you study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life, but they're the same scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. And the problem still exists. Do we know so much? 
How we become so inflexible. Well, this is who God is. And therefore, this is how God has to do a thing. That all of a sudden, when God begins to just move a couple of degrees over here, we completely miss him for who he is. Let me just tell you, there are folks right now in our current culture that are just like the Pharisees. There are folks sitting in churches that they've got God in such a small box. They have brought God down to anthropomorphic or into a human place where they can somehow access and assess who he is. Let me just tell you, God's intended to blow your mind. And whenever you can wrap your mind completely around who God is, you have made God too small. You've made God into something rather than God making you into something. Flexibility. Paul wrote in Galatians, he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What does that mean? Let me tell you something about the flexibility of a wineskin. It is at its point of maximum flexibility closest to the moment of death of the animal from which it was taken. Your flexibility is directly connected to your morbidity. Your willingness to die. Say, oh, don't talk about death. We're a life church here. We'll get there. But there's a little principle in the kingdom of resurrection that for resurrection, by definition, to be resurrection, something has to be dead before it can be resurrected. So to the extent that we are hanging on to our life, Jesus is not hanging on. Hmm. I better move on quick. You didn't like that. (laughs) But there are places that you and I need to die. And everything in the human soul says, ah, no, because the healthy human soul cries out for life. This is why what I'm talking about is something that has to be done spiritually. Paul understood this, that as long as I'm trying to do this thing, I'm trying to live this life in my own strength, my own power, guess what? The Spirit's not doing it. Hmm. 2 Corinthians 4, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Prerequisite, death before life. Laying down, dying to what we think we know. Tell you, the God that I met on a college campus over 40 years ago, he's a very different God than the one that I said yes to. Now, Is God unchanging? Absolutely. It's part of the nature and character of God. But is your understanding of who God is, is it always changing? I hope so. I hope so. Because it's in that flexibility of God wanting to define himself to you and to me. Therein, we're going to experience something powerful. One theologian said this, about the Holy Spirit. Never say never and never say always. Let me tell you, that's a really good statement to help craft your theology. 
as to who this God really is. But our wineskin, that, that, that flexibility is directly related to capacity. My second point, capacity. You know, one thing I've learned about God is there's never a supply problem with God. Have you ever wondered, how, how does this work? I mean, okay, people are getting, and this, this brother's got a job, and he's got money, and his marriage was restored, and his children aren't idiots anymore, and, you know, and God is just pouring himself out. And it seems like by the time we get to the end of the row, God's like, sorry. How many of you know that's not the case with God? It's never a supply issue with him. Ephesians 3, Paul writing again, that you may to this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Man, I don't know how full that is, but that's got to be pretty full. It's going to require whatever the size of this container is, it's got to get a bit bigger. Ephesians, the first chapter, is talking about the church. Paul again, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. But it begs a prerequisite question for you and for me as God is looking for those wineskins, for those vessels. Is there any room in there to pour anything there? Marie Kondo. Now, if you don't know who Marie is, you will. She is a phenom. She is this cute little Japanese lady who comes into your home, dumps all your possessions out into one place. Does this bring joy? Now, my wife is in the process of completely condoizing our home. Our, our clothes are now folded and upright in the drawer. I opened, I opened the drawer the other day, and, <laughs> and they were all like little soldiers, you know, just, it's really phenomenal how she did that. But you know, she's beginning, my wife is, after 40 years of marriage now, we, we, we really are at, at a place of, of crisis. You can pray for us because my wife is now kind of scanning the home of does this bring me joy? Does this bring me joy? She was getting ready to throw my shoes out the other day. These don't bring me joy. And my woman, I need the shoes. And then she started looking at me. Next thing I know, the locks are changed. I mean, you know, it's just like, and I got to tell you, between the Marie's, I will go Marie Calendar over, over Marie Kondo any day, let me just tell you. But the idea is deliberately making room. We have to do some things to make room to allow what? This new wine that Jesus is speaking of, of himself, we have the oil of anointing that God wants for us afresh. We got to make some space in there. Wow. And historical moves and movements, they stop right here. Listen to me. Where what started out in the fire of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit, at some point, folks said, we're done. This is what we know of God. This is what we like about our worship of God. This is what we understand about the scriptures. Therefore, we're going to build a monument right here. And we're done. And let me just tell you. When that happens, many times 
the oil stops flowing. The same way, the story of the widow in 2 Kings 4, that when all the vessels got full, the oil did what? It stopped flowing. God is saying, is there any room in there? Is there any room in all of the great mission that you have? The vision. Is there room for me in all of that? Is Jesus easy to find in our worship, in our preaching, in our ministry, in our small groups? Is Jesus easy to find? Hmm. And I believe that there's also coming evangelistic productivity that's going to be unique in this season. As our capacity increases... Remember, I prophesied to a number of college leaders last, when was it? Last Saturday at Drexel and Penn and that God was getting ready to open up the Muslim community to them in a brand new way. And I believe that God's going to give us a unique season of harvest as a nation. I really believe that. But the question for you and for me, what are the conditions of our nets? Pastor Eddie, in his offering message this morning, talked about fishing, a boat. But there's another story about a boat where the disciples have fished all night and there's nothing. And Jesus said, how you doing? Ah, we're busted. He said, cast your nets on the other side. You crazy, man. He said, do it anyway. They begin to pull up such a catch that their nets begin to break. Some years ago, there was a church in Louisiana. And many years ago, there was a traveling um, drama. It was called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. I don't know if anybody heard of it or remember it, but basically these, this traveling company would come in. They would, a number of churches would sponsor them. They'd come in, they'd do it, and they literally would just scare people out of hell. If you've heard of scaring the hell out of people, they would scare people out of hell. And this Louisiana, this Louisiana community, over the course of five days of this production running, over 19,000 people came to the gospel. 19,000. Six churches now have 19,000 new babies in their nursery. And this particular church looked around and realized, we ain't got the nets for this. We don't have a flexible enough structure. And this was a decent-sized church, 2,500 folks. So they had to completely change their entire paradigm of ministry into small group ministry in order to now contain the harvest that God had suddenly dropped in their lap. God bless that they did. But are we ready for the harvest? What are the conditions of our nets? I'll just mention this, these other ones in closing. Integrity. You know, that word is not just the character of an individual, but by definition, it is the totality of nothing wanting, an unbroken completeness. The wine has to become primary over the wine skin. We've had such, we've had so much teaching about how you can be a better Christian, more fulfilled, self-actualized. Your destiny in God can be realized. And we've worked a lot on the wineskin. 
and our wineskins look better. We don't cuss nearly as much. But it's never been about the wineskin. It's been about the wine. It's not been about the wineskin telling the wine, this is what you should taste like. This is what you should look like. But the wine should be forming and informing the wineskin. Interesting. What comes out? What does it taste like? My wife and I live in the Shenandoah Valley, and we get our water from a pretty good source. Very pure. Matter of fact, our property is called Blue Springs. But my wife would, in the morning, she would get up and she'd let the water run in the sink. Had to make her tea. It's good. I'm like, honey, what are you doing? Well, the water doesn't taste right unless I let it run for a while. Well, there's no chlorine and no chemicals. Help me out here. And so based on another series of events, we had to get one of these Culligan things with a, that you put in. And we put it in, and all of a sudden now, she doesn't do that anymore. Why? Because she would say, I can taste the pipes. <laughs> they taste metallic. And I'm just like, tastes like water to me. But, but, she, but she's got a very sophisticated palate. She could taste the edge that as that water came through those copper pipes and was leaching into that water, she could taste it. And now it's not there anymore. You see, the water, as it was pulled out of the ground from its original source, now it tastes amazingly much more like that. As Jesus comes out of your life, does it taste like dead goat? Does it taste like dead anything? What's it picking up? Well, Pastor Jim, that's just my personality. <laughs> that's just who I am. Yeah, well, you're a sociopath too, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but the real question is, what are people seeing? Because it's through you and through me, it's that, what are they picking up on the tongue, so to speak? Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not the Lord is interpreted through Jim or Angie or JC or Eddie. No, 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 no. Taste and see. Wow. So how do we remedy this? I believe it begins with divine discontentment. And there are a couple of words that one would think would never be used together in the same sentence. But by divine discontentment, I mean allowing God to come and begin to work something in us that says, God, I am not satisfied with either the quantity or the quality of that which is flowing both in and out of my life. It begins with discontentment. We used to sing a song way back in the day. Our, our music was terrible, by the way, back in the early days of the charismatic renewal. They were bad. It was, the, the songs were bad, but they, I remember them because we were singing the Bible. <laughs> but we had this little ditty that we sang. It says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. 
And you're going to find, I believe, as we step into this divine discontentment, whether it's Instagram, whether it's food, whatever it might be that you, that's been doing it for you, all of a sudden it's going to be like, this, this, this. Let me just tell you, you got to develop a taste for the new wine. The old wine's easier, but we have to develop a taste for the new. I got to tell you, those moments in the mid-90s, that weird tasting new wine, very strange. Let me just tell you, it ruined me. Some of you need to get ruined because you've gotten ruined on the wrong things rather than on God things. It begins by establishing priority. 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, this is what I did. I did kitty cat videos on YouTube. When I was a child, I mean, now we've got this screen time. That's information I didn't want. It's like going to the doctor and them weighing you. It's like, I didn't want to know that. Because in my ignorance, I could lie with integrity. But now you've got this number that comes up once a week. Your screen time was up 6,000% since last week. Are you depressed? Scripture says those that hunger and thirst will be filled. For some of us, we've got to change our priorities. That's always hard. I was speaking to one of our pastors in Europe, and we have a monthly discipleship call, and he was saying, you know, pastor, he said, I'm just not excited about the things of ministry like I once was. He said, I used to just get, I was so, get up in the morning and we do this and do that. And, and, and he said, it's just, and I said, good, congratulations. He said, what are you talking about? I wanted to counsel or at least sympathy. I said, no, I said, you just manifested maturity. Because it's not about now what we do, it is for whom we are doing it. It completely changes the orientation of your life. Priority. Humility. We're the vessels, not the wine. Got to remember that. Isaiah 64, you're the potter, we're the work of your hands. 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay, etc., etc. And it's not just what we are, but it's what we're not. We're just vessels for something. And let me tell you, that's not a denigrating thing, but it's the beginning of working humility in our life to recognize we're not all that. As a matter of fact, we're just a dead wineskin waiting to be filled up with something to actually give us some substance. Wow. Mobility, a flexibility, a willingness to move. Remember, that wineskin was designed to be a transport mechanism. God is looking for a certain mobility from you and from me. When he told those early disciples, come and follow me. 
You know, we beat up the disciples many times for how slow they are on the uptake in terms of getting who this Jesus is. But I think the boys deserve a little bit of credit. I mean, here's Jesus, no reputation, no miracles that they've seen whatsoever. And Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fit. Great, we're done. What were they seeing in this guy? That they were willing to lay down everything that they had built up until that period of time in order to follow this Jesus. Let me tell you, these guys have new respect for me. Come follow me. But that flexibility has to be mobile. And then the unity and community. Let me just tell you, inasmuch as God is attracted to humility, we know he resists the proud, but he's, he's attracted to humility, looking to pour himself out. He's also looking for unity. That Acts church, yes, miracles, signs, wonders, tongues of fire, all of that wonderful stuff. But folk were seeing something as these people were doing life together. Not just gathering, just doing the temple thing. Not just coming together once a week because it was Sunday. They were doing life together. Every pastor I talk to right now is wringing their hands about how do we do community in this culture? How do we do community when we're stretched out from Hamilton to Leesburg to Front Royal? How do we do, how do we do this? I don't know, but we got to figure it out. That early church, they were together every day. They were in each other's lives. They were giving their stuff away, sharing their lawnmowers. (laughs) And mowing each other's, uh, other's grass, I might add too. And there's an anointing of unity that God is looking for from us. So what have I said this morning? We've got to embrace divine discontent. You know, I'm not a smart guy. I've given up on being smart. Just like I've given up on being skinny. But the people that now really inspire me are not the ones that can read the Bible in the original text, original language. They're not the guys that have all of their theology all nailed down. It's the guys that know Jesus. And you read a line and you realize, ah, you know him in a way I haven't touched yet. They're the folk that I'm like, Can I talk to you? They're the folks that inspire me because they're drawing me out of myself. They're drawing me upward to more of God. Not more about God, but more of God. And there's a massive difference in the two things. Flexibility. Where do you need to die? Don't try to kill yourself. It won't work. Many people try that. They call New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Have you given up so far? But seriously, if it's something that God has ordained, let me just tell you, he will resurrect it. He'll kill it. He'll resurrect it. It's got to be a spiritual encounter, though. Flexibility. In that is greater capacity. More of God. Less of us. The integrity 
that is not about the wine skin. It's about the wine that what's coming out tastes like what went in. And keeping the main thing, the main thing, the remedy. Readjusting our priorities for this year. A lot of promises that are connected with that. And I want us to punctuate this message this morning. Did we, were we able to pull off communion, by the way? Can, we, can you go ahead and pass those out as quickly as you possibly can? I want to punctuate this moment this morning, and I want us to come to the table together. Because historically, this table, this communion, this is the place where the old and the new collided. Right here. To the point that Jesus took what was a very well-known observance, the Passover meal, and he turned it into something completely new. I mean, these guys were there and they knew the bitter herbs and they were getting ready to do this wine and this bread. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he pulled, he pulled this amazing thing on them. And it's in this particular moment that Jesus was saying, guys, let me just tell you, this old covenant has completely passed away. And it's passed away on the basis of this. It's been perfectly fulfilled. Let me tell you, many of us are trying to live in some juxtaposition of old and new. We feel good about ourselves when we can check off our list. Come on. Read my Bible, said my prayers, fed the dog, loved my wife. Check, 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 check. Yeah, I'm feeling like a good Christian today. We all have our versions of the old covenant that we try to live under with some form of righteousness that we're creating for ourselves. Now, don't hear the wrong thing. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have spiritual disciplines in your life. I'm saying, how do you feel about yourself? as a result of those spiritual disciplines. That's the real issue here. Old covenant, new covenant, Old Testament, new Testament, two different ways that God has spoken to us. Yes, the old was necessary because it pointed us to the new. The old had to fail in a very real way for us to say, all right, I, I need something different. Some of you need something very different today. This table is that juxtaposition right here. That Jesus came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He never intended for us to. Because he wanted that place. And this table, this table is that place where we acknowledge his all-sufficiency in contrast to our absolute insufficiency. Take your wafer. At this particular Passover meal, they thought they were just going to have some bread. Then Jesus, he says, hang on. By the way, this bread now is the bread of the new covenant. And this is my body broken for you. And from now on, whenever you eat this, you eat thinking about that.
Then he picked up the wine. And these guys thought, well, okay. But then he did it again. And holding the wine up, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is representative now and forever of my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. And from now on, whenever you drink this, you think about that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are pouring out the new wine on our behalf. But God, I pray, God, in our lives, our families, our children, God, in this church, in our churches, God, that you would find suitable, flexible, mobile wineskins, that the fullness of who you are might be seen. God, we love you and we thank you. And God's people said, amen. God bless you, church.